General Anthony C. Zinni, The Core Doctrine, Balanced and Ready. General Anthony Zinni began his career as a second lieutenant advising Vietnamese Marines in combat. He ended his career as commanding general of U.S. Central Command from 1997 to 2000. He is well known to be an out-of-the-box thinker and well-versed in the application of military power. In this segment of an oral history interview conducted with General Zinni in 2007 by historian Fred Allison, General Zinni comments on the soul-searching that the Marine Corps underwent in the late 1970s after the Vietnam War. There were accusations that the Marines were irrelevant and calls for radical changes in tactics and doctrine and that the Marine Corps needed to reinvent itself to face the threats of the day. As a young field-grade officer serving at Headquarters Marine Corps, then as a student at Command and Staff College, General Zinni was present at this time of flux and transition. With the appointment of a new Commandant, General Lewis H. Wilson, a fresh wind blew through the Marine Corps. Wilson and other leaders set a course that proved to be a right one, but at the time, no one knew the future, and the doctrinal controversies were hotly debated. General Zinni describes this exciting and critical time. During this time also, uh, speaking of General Wilson, he becomes commandant, right, at that time. Did that, uh, was that reflected? I mean, were you oh, yeah. changed in the atmosphere yeah. at the headquarters and yeah. at the court? Yeah, to, to be honest, there were a lot of issues and complaints and really felt, you know, I didn't know, you know, that maybe they were coming out of Vietnam or all sorts of issues. There was a little intrigue going on between the commandant and the assistant commandant and the issues about, uh, you know, trying to influence the selection and everything else. Well, and of course, the young major, you're watching this all from this, but when General Wilson came in, uh, it was amazing. He was at this Medal of Honor, recipient of World War II hero, uh, known for his it was, you know, like a breath of fresh air uh, to start really uh, uh, establishing and reestablishing, I should say, and enforcing the standards. Uh, you know, he was the model of in every respect, and as the commandant, uh, he began to really take on this, the Marines for sort of uh, uh, renaissance and as uh, all volunteer force. Uh, so he became, a, a, and I think that combined with President Reagan coming in, and mm-hmm. now we're in Washington, and we have a meeting where even going now President Reagan wants to go to Europe, in Washington. So, uh, you know, I think this sort of resurgence of pride and everything else. So it was kind of a great time to be up there watching all this. Uh, Very noticeable. Yeah. All right, sir. And then uh, what did you want to do as your uh, time comes to an end there or in uh, June 78? About what did you well uh, did you come out of there? Actually, uh, actually seventy seven, and I go to Command Staff College. Oh, that's yeah, right. I got it right here. Well, August seventy seven. Yeah, I got elected to Command Staff College, and uh, that was a great year. Uh, like all times of school, Monaco being amongst your peers, and it was a time at Command Staff College. And the big emphasis now uh, at that time there were there was a book, a small pamphlet written by Jeffrey Record. Thinking called where did the Corps go from here? There was a, a re-questioning of the need for Marine Corps. Uh, they were now saying Marine Corps is, you know, heading to the jungle. Uh, the real 
systems that were that were not uh, mechanized enough. We don't have the combat power. Uh, people pushing us now uh, toward becoming heavier, or you know, the ability to uh, to fight uh, in the Baltic Gap or on the flanks. And and now this whole emphasis about the Marine Corps needs to heavy up, needs to be more relevant against the Soviet threat, needs to. Uh, uh, Look at itself in terms of a greater, stronger combined arms, particularly mechanization. Uh, this whole emphasis now, General Wilson focused 29 bombs in the combined arms training center. Uh, we now have uh, the of looks at the LAV, light armored vehicle, combined mechanized task forces, and, uh, and other things that uh, people are trying to impose on us or force on us, uh, rejustifying our. Existence. Uh, now the rise of people beginning to think about the maneuver warfare, a uh, new way of uh, new design, a new concept of the way you engage instead of what the critics were saying was, was an attrition based uh, philosophy. So you hit command and staff college while well, all this is bubbling up. And of course, this has hit us in that class. So we're students were interested in that. There were a lot of us that had side groups that were beginning to talk about these things. After hours, we would. Uh, you know, we would be engaged in this you know, warfare debate development. Uh, while I was there, we had formed a group to look at how the Marine Corps would, would neck up. Should we neck up on a permanent basis to become more uh, mechanized and, and mobile with greater firepower? Are we making a mistake doing that? Should we just have the wherewithal to just task organize to that? Critics were saying task organization not good enough. You know, you have to. And General Wilson was trying to hold the line on that. General Wilson convened uh, a group of, of senior officers to look at this in the Marine Corps. Uh, their results were leaking out. Uh, there were critics of the Marine Corps that were pressing on this, like Philbin and others. Uh, so it was exciting times to be down there and, 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 and being engaged in this. It was not sort of the typical academic period because this idea of where the Marine Corps goes, so challenging our basic operational concepts, challenging our basic organization, challenging our, our basic uh, worker utility uh, uh, for the security of the nation, you know, uh, meant that this was an exciting year, being in an academic environment in Monaco, being able to really get into those things, hear the debate, participate, think about it like we do during that environment, made it more exciting than we normally would have what the end of the Vietnam War and everything, so everybody's kind of looking for uh, something different, something changes. Yeah. changes need to be well, also at the same time, uh, they were beginning to uh, uh, talk about the maritime strategy. Mm -hmm. And now the Navy and the Marine Corps were beginning to look at how, uh, what should be the maritime component to a, uh, a strategy against a, a Soviet uh, force. In, in. And so we were now beginning to look at the flanks of work. We're now beginning to look at, uh, at, at, the, at Norway, the Greenland, Iceland, the United Kingdom gap, the GIUK gap, uh, the southern flank. Uh, and so now the utility of naval forces in the Marine Corps on the flanks in Europe, uh, how we would operate in the Pacific against the Soviet threat uh, and project that kind of power. Uh, this was also added to the mix. So, you know, again, all these things were swirling about. It was an exciting time for you know, people that were intellectually very challenged. That focus was on Europe. The focus was on Europe. Europe, Europe and the Cold War and all that sort of Yeah, and Polo, we were now going to put carriers in the, in the, uh, the Lords and everything else. Uh, did that. 
And you would get involved in that when you had to head into a campus here. Uh, do you remember, oh, well, I'm going to ask something about Bill Lynn now. Uh, I've heard a lot about him. I haven't really been able to nail him down, but it, was he someone that advocated the mechanization? Yeah, he did. did. And, well, uh, you know, first of all, uh, I first met him first. Yeah, I first met him when I was at headquarters of the Marine Corps. A friend of mine down here had uh, knew him and said, uh, uh, you know, we, they were meeting with him down here. Little groups of officers would get together after hours and discuss all these sorts of things. I was invited to one session down here at Quantico and uh Caesar Informal. Caesar Informal. At the club or something? Yeah, at the club or someone's home. And and I came down the first time I heard him I you know, he he was advocating obviously this this emphasis on maneuver work there, but but not maneuver. I mean it was uh, it was a mindset, a way of thinking, a different way. Different way to assess uh, the enemy you will go up against a different way to think about how you want to hit them, uh, more effective and more efficient the way you do things, uh, less attrition based than sort of the, tr the traditional process of the terrain and forces and all that. And it was getting to catch on. It began to resonate. I, I think the effects of Vietnam and people not understanding it, looking at sort of the doctrine and sort of the World War II conventional, uh, trying to think about ways to be more creative on the planks again going back to Europe and elsewhere. And and, and so that thing was beginning to catch fire, it was beginning to generate what became, you know, over the next decade really a, a rethinking or a renaissance. Uh, probably General Gray came really then uh, became uh, central to how the Marine Corps thought. But he also was, was felt strongly about the Marine Corps needed to mechanize to be more mobile and more people an advocate of that. And the debate then, you know, of course, the, the, there's always trade-offs in this, that it was dangerous. The old guys, uh, like we had General Kulak Sr. come down with talk to and the same problem, you have to be careful that you don't catch, you don't catch the, the trend of the day. You know, because the fan of the day. The of the day, because he yeah. remembered when President Kennedy wanted the Marine Corps to become the counterinsurgency force, the, you know, become uh, like what special forces became. And the Marine Corps resisted it. Had they done it, they'd become really irrelevant as Vietnam came down. And, and he said, you have to think about what you come from the sea, we're projected uh, from the sea. You can't heavy yourself up so much that you're not liftable, you know, you're not, you can't be broken. You don't have to do that. And, and, you, and the key, he said, is, is to stay balanced. You know, don't go one way or the other. Retain this balance. And the second thing is to always be ready. I mean, the hallmark of the Marine the force is ready. He said, if you stay ready and you can get to the scene of the crime, you'll be in the fight and you'll be relevant. And I think that was how General Wilson thought. Stay balanced, stay ready. That's the core. Ore part of what the Marine Corps is all about. Uh, and, and, and there were others that saying, no, you've got to make this move. You know, even that, that I remember the 200th anniversary birthday ball, and uh, Secretary Pence was president, and he came on the birthday ball and said it was the you know, 200th anniversary of the Ride. He was talking about the Marine Corps going to be irrelevant and the change and all this other stuff. But even had, on that level, that kind of, which to me, see, uh, as I thought about this, I, I became more convinced that the state balance 
and, and stay ready with the way to go as opposed to saying, no, let's chase the latest trend. Mm. Uh, and there was a lot of pressure. I mean, people like Lindsay and others were putting pressure on trying to get Congress and others, you know, force us into these. Uh, uh, and and you know, later on, General Wilson, because when he did the study groups, and I participated in one with General Gray, then Brigadier General Gray, uh, uh, did the reserve reconstruction part. Uh, and, and the other part that was done uh, to look at mechanization and all, we're ready to come down and actually recommend, they recommended the Marine Corps neck up on a permanent basis. And, and, the, and the down here concepts and doctrine, we're writing all these, these mechanics, Marine Combat Arms Task Force concepts and everything else. And General Wilson, to his credit, resisted it under a lot of pressure. Think of what the Marine Corps is good at. Yeah, and, and, and stay balanced and stay relevant, stay ready. Uh, uh, it, it, you know, don't chase the latest trend. General Zinni identifies the intellectual foment that swirled around Marine Corps leadership as new doctrine and policy was being pushed after the Vietnam War. The Marine Corps was resetting and looking for the way forward. He identifies how the Corps' top leader, General Wilson, wisely selected the right course from a number of options and despite the high-level pressure to pursue the latest doctrinal trends. What are the pressures on the Marine Corps today regarding reshaping the force or assuming a new warfighting doctrine that might threaten the Marine Corps' traditional and core roles of amphibious warfare, being the first to fight, and using combined arms? Additionally, how are students at the various Marine Corps schools instructed in our core doctrine, how it came about, and why? While it is important to consider other warfighting techniques and even evolving doctrine, what are the inherent dangers that must be taken into account? For additional information on doctrine and the Marine Corps way of war, suggested readings are First to Fight, an Inside View of the U.S. Marine Corps by Lieutenant General Victor H. Krulak, The U.S. Marine Corps and Defense Unification by Gordon Kaiser, Progress and Purpose, A Developmental History of the U.S. Marine Corps from 1900 to 1970 by Lieutenant Colonel Kenneth Clifford, The Legacy of Bella Wood, 100 Years of Making Marines and Winning Battles, an Anthology, edited by Paul Westermeyer and Brianne Robertson, and Marine Corps doctrinal publication 1-0 Marine Corps Operations.